Welcome, everybody, to the Richard Roper Podcast. I am indeed Richard Roper, and we appreciate all of you who have been tuning in and sharing and downloading and subscribing and all of that good stuff. They're changing the words to classic books. They're retroactively making these books more inclusive. Talking, of course, about the rolled doll controversy, and we're going to talk about changes that have been made to books, the banning of some books, and even changes that have been made to movies, and also my ideas about what should be done with certain professional sports all-star games. All of that and more on The Richard Roper Show. But first, here's your reminder. The Richard Roper Show is brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. The digital landscape is changing rapidly, and to compete in today's online business environment, you need an experienced partner. Since 1995, AmericanEagle.com has partnered with companies of all sizes, offering web design, web development, e-commerce, mobile apps, digital marketing, all to drive your overall business's success because they believe that today's online world is your online opportunity. All right, let's get to it, guys. You may have seen this uh, in the news. It's been everywhere the last couple of days, people talking about the changes they're making to best-selling children's author Roald Dahl's work. Now, uh, Roald Dahl, uh, he wrote uh, and created characters such as Matilda, Fantastic Mr. Fox, Willy Wonka. Uh, a lot of his books have been turned into movies and TV shows. His books have sold more than 300 million copies, been translated into 63 languages, and as we mentioned, all these adaptations. Now, uh, he died in uh, 1990, Roald Dahl, and since then, there have been a lot of reports about some of his personal views, which are abhorrent, but we're not really here to talk about that so much as the changes that have been made with the cooperation of his estate to certain books uh, where they're now removing words such as fat and ugly descriptions that use the colors black and white. In The Witches, they found uh, journalists working on this uh, this investigation found 59 changes in The Witches and also changes to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and Matilda, among other works. Uh, Salman Rushdie, among those who have said this is absurd censorship, uh, the Puffin Books, which is the publisher and the Dallas State, should be ashamed. It's interesting here because what they're doing is taking you know certain words, so in other words, if somebody's fat, described as fat, I should say, they're taking that description out of there, just trying to make the, the works uh, more inclusive. And I, I get the good intentions, but to me, it goes back to the kind of the days of, you know, Mark Twain, obviously, and the use of uh, the N-word, even in, in books that are anti-racism and people, you know, saying, well, that's offensive. Well, the term certainly is, but I hesitate and I, you know, I kind of cringe when we start going back and making these changes. I guess if both versions are still available, that's one thing. Uh, we, you know, you might recall we had a, a, a case not too long ago with Dr. Seuss's books. Now, the, the, and this is kind of a similar thing where uh, certain works by Dr. Seuss had, you know, what was undeniably racist and insensitive imagery. And six of those books are no longer being published. And this, again, was done, uh, you know, under the uh, the command, if you will, of Dr. Seuss's Enterprises. So, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, If I Ran the Zoo, Scrambled Eggs, Super, The Cat's Quizzer, obviously not the most famous of uh, the Dr. Seuss books, although a lot of people do remember uh, Mulberry Street, but 
you know, it had a very kind of offensive, not kind of, it had an offensive image and portrayal of an Asian character. Uh, if I ran the zoo had, uh, you know, dated stereotypes of African men. So they were just, they decided, you know what, let's just not publish these anymore. And I get that I do. And I respect that. I just, you know, it is a slippery slope. I think, you know, when books came out, a lot of books, look, a lot of movies, we've talked about this in the past too. There are a lot of movies. I mean, there are, there are very egregious examples of, you know, stereotypical portrayals of Native Americans by almost always white actors up until just a few decades ago. Uh, I just saw a movie called The Long Riders, which is a great film by Walter Hill. Uh, you know, very fictionalized telling of the story of the younger and Jesse James gangs. Uh, and James Remar, a great actor who I believe is of English and Ukrainian descent, is is playing a, a Native American in there. And you had that all the time in the movies. Obviously, we've become much better about casting but i don't think these you know movies that had that types of casting should be just simply eliminated i think it's great to have discussion about them to realize that this is the time we lived in even something you know as seemingly innocuous as 16 candles of course has a you know unfortunately a very stereotypical asian foreign exchange student you know and, and you do watch that and you go oh god that's that's terrible but I don't think we should ban 16 candles. So uh, in the cases with these books, uh, I, I, I get why they're making some of the changes. I think we want to keep the books as they were still available. I do like the idea maybe of having both choices available and then, you know, classes and parents can decide, guardians can decide what they want their kids to read. But uh, just to kind of go in, some of the, some of the changes just seem to me like, you know, they're, they're they're really erring on the side of let's not offend anyone, uh, which brings to mind a story from many years ago, but then was updated uh, recently. Uh, you might remember or have heard that E.T. the Extraterrestrial, uh, Steven Spielberg's classic film, came out in 1982 when they did the 20th anniversary remix reboot uh re-release and you know with dvds etc the 20th 20th anniversary special edition of et this was in an era where guys like george lucas was making some changes and edits to the star wars movies as they you know came out on video and with uh et some of the stuff was pretty cool because steven spielberg there was you know obviously in 2002 there was a lot of advanced technology as a pair uh, compared to 1982. So he could make the actual character of ET move a little more smoothly. He tweaked the design for ET spaceship, uh, was able to make the night sky even more spectacular. That to me is fine and great. It's like if a musician is playing a, a tune that he recorded and wrote in the sixties. And then decades later, there's different technology that allows him or her to, to really realize their vision and may apply, maybe record a different version of it or a better live version of it. You want to take advantage of all the paints, you know, in your paint box, all the colors in the palette. In this quiet neighborhood, on this tranquil street, a mystery is unfolding and an adventure is beginning. Again. I'm keeping you. In March 2002, Steven Spielberg's masterpiece returns to theaters everywhere with enhanced visual effects 
the extraterrestrial. I'll be right here. There was also more CGI in the 20th anniversary of E.T. And then, of course, as you might recall, there was the big controversy where the government agents who were chasing everybody had guns in their hands and they digitally removed the guns and replaced them with walkie talkies. And this was because Steven Spielberg said he was being very sensitive to parent group complaints about the original release, saying it scared their kids again. I'm like, who are these parents groups? That's what really got to them. I mean, you don't want your kids watching horror movies and stuff, but I, I find it hard to believe that, that young children watching E.T. were severely traumatized because the government agents had guns in their hands. They don't shoot E.T., spoiler alert. You know, they don't bring them down. <laughs> so, uh, and in hindsight, last year, Spielberg said that was actually the wrong decision to replace the guns with walkie-talkies. And he said, you know, he, I, I'm actually kind of robbing people of their memories and what they loved about E.T. So now what he's doing is you can get a DVD release and people still like to get the steel book and the special editions and stuff. Obviously, you can see this stuff online, but both editions are available. The special edition cut and the original with just the changes that were more technical improvements and not content. Again, replacing the walkie talkie or replacing the guns with the walkie talkies. And now we're to the point where if you want to get a DVD of E.T., you're almost almost for sure going to get the version that has the agents with the guns in it. So uh, Spielberg has said, too, and I, I agree with him on this. You know, he's still continuing to to be this great, innovative leader in filmmaking. We're just a couple of weeks away from the Oscars and the Fablemans is up for multiple awards. And Steven Spielberg has said he does not want to spend the rest of his career revisiting retouching uh, doing all these digital things to his films they came out when they came out they're almost all brilliant i mean you know listen could you do a version of jaws with a more realistic shark painted in there somehow digitally yeah but f that man yeah i mean jaws is one of the greatest movies of all time and the least scary portions of Jaws are when we actually see the shark because it was a mechanical shark and it, you know, it looked like a mechanical shark. Let's face it. And that's why uh, Spielberg, you know, famously, if they were having all kinds of troubles with the mechanical shark, they named Bruce. And that's why he kept those shots to a minimum. And the real terror comes in the opening scene where you really don't see anything. And then later on, when you just get glimpses of the shark and it's all about the sound and the reaction of the actors, et cetera. So I'm, I'm with Steven Spielberg on this. He's going to certain filmmakers want to keep going back. They want to keep tweaking their work. And I think that's fine too. But I like the idea of like, listen, I made these movies in the seventies, eighties, nineties, et cetera. I had the technology available. These were the social mores of the time. I know there might be certain things. I'm not talking about Spielberg in specific, but you know, from filmmakers, I know there might be specific things that some people now, now find offensive. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, alleged humor in, in some of the all-time classic comedies from the 80s and 90s, homophobia and things like that, that were considered acceptable. They shouldn't have been, but they were. So you watch it and you go, well, this is a great, funny movie. It's unfortunate and wrong that they make those sorts of jokes in there. And if you've got younger people, you talk to them about that. But I think the works have to stand as they are. You know, I know recently... There have been showings of Gone with the Wind on television where they have discussions before and after about the release of Gone with the Wind, where we were as a country at the time, what it's depicting, et cetera, et cetera. I think all that kind of discussion is great. Not a huge fan of going back and 
patching in things, fixing things, making things a certain way. They are of their time and they reflect the time. Okay, why don't we take a quick break? Rokan's going to tell you about Portillo's. When we come back, let's talk about certain all-star games, shall we? But first, let me tell you about Portillo's. It's one of my favorite places to eat on the planet Earth. And that is absolutely true. I'm not making that up. I I, I probably order from or eat drive through a Portillo's drive through and eat from Portillo's I'd probably once a week. Probably, I would say. And you know why? Because they got the best hot dogs. They got the best Italian beef. They got the best Italian sausage. And <laughs> they got great salads. They got great French fries. They got great everything that you want. If it's comfort food or uh, what do they call fast casual now, whatever that is, hmm. you you have got to stop by a Portillo's if you haven't done it yet. And if you live outside of the area in which there are Portillo's, you can order the stuff online. And I always tell you, order the chocolate cake because it's the best chocolate cake you're ever going to have in your life. You can think, well, now how is a fast casual restaurant in Chicago going to make the best chocolate cake I ever had in my life? Trust me, it is. There are people all over the planet Earth that actually order that cake for their weddings and they build wedding cakes out of the individual chocolate cakes. I'm not making that up. <laughs> Try it. Portillo's.com. P-O-R-T-I-L-L-O-S. That's how you spell it. Portillo's.com. Okay, welcome back to the Richard Roper Podcast. Uh, I'm recording this uh, right after the uh, NBA All-Star Game, so you might be hearing it a little bit down the road. But in the recent past, they had the uh, NBA All-Star Weekend. And, you know, there's a lot of fun aspects to the NBA All-Star Weekend. There's the three-point contest. There's the slam dunk, which was really cool this year because some dude that's played like two games in his life uh, won the slam dunk contest. The celebrity game's kind of fun. Some of the players like DK Metcalf, well, he's a you know, he's a great athlete. He's an all pro football player. He's the MVP of the celebrity game. To me, it's like you should just have celebrities who aren't athletes, maybe, or all celebrities who are athletes to make it a, an even playing field. But that's all just for fun. A lot of great musical performances, honoring legends of the game. That's great. Uh, the worst part about the NBA All-Star Game weekend is, of course, the NBA All-Star Game. You guys, I mean. It's not a game. I mean, let's be honest, right? Uh, if you watched it, you know, the players are mic'd up. They're goofing around. They have these this draft, so it's not even one conference. Again, it's Team Giannis against Team LeBron. What was the final score of this game? It was like eight, 800 million, 800, 184 to 175, I'm being told. 184 to 175 was the final score. Jason Tatum. Uh, from the Boston Celtics, scored 55 points. It's an all-star record, edging uh, Anthony Davis at 52 points just about five or six years ago. So good for him. He, you know, he's a great guy. He was excited to win the MVP. But guys, 184 to 175 is not a basketball game. They're just goofing around. Nobody's playing anything that even approaches defense. Nobody really cares who wins. Believe it or not, not that long ago, just a generation ago, there was pretty hard, strong competition in these games. I mean, players played hard. They played some defense. Listen, I get it. These, nobody wants to get hurt. It's a, just a kind of a showcase for the talent. But then why bother? And you saw what happened with the NFL this year. They finally just admitted the Pro Bowl was an effing joke. 
Because the Pro Bowl, again, way back when the Pro Bowl, guys used to hit each other and there'd be sacks and stuff. And maybe that was stupid anyway, because guys could get hurt. But in recent years, it had become just a glorified uh, walkthrough Tuesday morning practice, if you will, with you know a lot of Pro Bowl players. And of course, a lot of the greatest players opt out for one. You know, they, oh, I'm hurt. I can't make it there. They still get their contract. You know, if they've got a stipulation saying if you make the Pro Bowl, you get some extra money and it becomes part of your resume. And a big part of whether or not you get in the Hall of Fame, how many Pro Bowls you made. But now they're just doing flag football. They just said, let's, listen, let's just admit <laughs> we're not going to play real football. So flag football. And they had all these skills competitions. And you know what? It was kind of fun. And uh, they got like 60,000 people paying crowd to to, to watch uh, the event, if you will. And I think this is where we're at with these all-star games. Um the hockey all-star game has the same thing with as the NA, uh, the NBA game has. They try to do all these little gimmicks and things to change it up, but essentially nobody plays defense and there's no hitting. It's not the same as a real game. The closest, I think, probably to reflecting what a real game is like is baseball simply because of the nature of the game. You're not going to see hard slides. You're not going to see players running into walls, obviously. Uh, you're going to see substitutions that normally wouldn't be made. But when you're pitching, you you, you can't really pitch at three-quarter speed because you could get yourself hurt that way. So the pitchers are kind of bringing it, and the hitters are up there trying to hit. You know, again, they're not goofing around. You're trying to get home runs, trying to move runners along. And the fielders, same thing. Okay, they're not going to run into walls. They shouldn't do that. But, they're you know, they're playing the game. It's 90% uh, approximation of what a real baseball game is like, 75 to 90%, I would say. So it plays like a real game. I get that. And even the All-Star games used to be, they used to play two, believe it or not, in, a, in the 60s for a while. They played two All-Star games. But they've been pretty competitive uh, through the decades. Different, you know, the leagues have taken terms kind of dominating each other. But the fact that they still have national versus American, that used to be a bigger deal because there was no interleague play. So a lot of times, the only time, unless it was the World Series, there weren't even playoffs. So back in the day, the only time Willie Mays might play against Joe DiMaggio would be in the All-Star game, which is a real shame when you think about it. You know, like guys like Mays and DiMaggio, Mays was with the Giants most of his career, DiMaggio, of course, the Yankees, or Mickey Mantle. I don't know how much DiMaggio and Mays actually overlap, but you know you know what I'm saying. Uh, Roberto Clemente playing for the Pirates and Herman Killebrew playing for the Twins, whatever the case may be. Some of the greatest, but Ernie Banks never played in a postseason game in his life, guys. You know, the Chicago Cub great. So the only time Ernie Banks would be on the same field as somebody from the Yankees or the Orioles or the White Sox would be in the All-Star game. So that was that was kind of cool. Uh, and they did play hard. But these other All-Star games, I mean, the NBA All-Star game, I don't know what they should do. I mean, I, you know, the idea of maybe the international players against the Americans, the international teams probably win right now because about – Five of the best seven players in the league are from overseas, but that might be fun. I don't know what you can do other than maybe just go with skills contests like they do, which and they have, which have been pretty popular through the years. But the game itself is just, it's deadly. It's, I don't know, pick a fan from the stands to play on each team. I, I don't know, do something with it, but it's a shame because you know, making the all-star team is such a big deal. Making the Major League Baseball Pro hockey, whatever the case may be, the NHL, certainly the NBA, there's a lot of talk about, oh, this guy got snubbed. And again, it's a big part of your legacy, how many all-star teams you make, but the actual game is completely irrelevant. So let's see what the NBA does if they mirror what the NFL did. Uh, in the meantime, wow, what a spectacle. I mean, you know, guys just running up and down the court, passing to each other, and then dunkathons, no defense whatsoever. Uh, I wanted to say one more thing about the NBA. 
and the All-Star Gang. Minnesota Timberwolves guard Anthony Edwards has now become one of my new favorite players. Now, here's the deal. He was uh, This was his first All-Star game. He's a real up-and-comer. He's got a lot of skills. And You know, when you're on the Timberwolves, you don't get the exposure. You know, the Lakers are still on national TV like three times a week, you know, as long as they got LeBron and some other stars, whether they're playing or not. And, of course, the New York teams, uh, the high-profile players, Minnesota, you know, teams like Minnesota, even teams that are pretty good sometimes, if they're in smaller markets, you just don't see them as much. So Anthony Edwards, anyway, makes his first All-Star game. I want to play a clip here. He was asking what he might change about the NBA if he had the ability to do so. If there's anything I could change about the league to make it better, probably just all the guys sitting resting. That's the only thing I probably don't like. Um, just play, man. If you, if you, if you, if you, eighty percent, you got to play. I, I don't, I don't like all the sitting, missing games and stuff. Like these people, these people might have enough money to come to one game. You know what I'm saying? And it, that might be the game they come to, and then you sitting out. You know what I'm saying? So, I take pride in trying to play every game because I don't know. It might be one fan that has never seen me play, and I'm trying to play. So, I don't. That's the only thing I don't like. Uh, guys just sitting out. See, I love that. I love that Anthony Edwards is, you know, he makes that great point about how when you're playing or, you know, when you're maybe on the road and again, some of these teams only play a few times in in other cities, uh, somebody might be paying to see you, has never seen you before and may never see you again. And then you're just not dressing because, you know, load management. I want to go back again to a previous era and i know we hear this all the time about how the old time players were tougher that's because they were tougher but also it's it's just a different world guys you know players were making a lot of money in the 80s and 90s but they they're now making an insane amount of money and in many cases their shoe endorsements their athletic apparel endorsements are even bigger than their contracts so it is really in their best interest to stay healthy and listen they they got to look out for themselves cuz the owners aren't looking out for them they're, the owners are looking out for their pocketbook but I want to go back and, and cite the classic example. Michael Jordan, still the greatest player of all time. We know that. There's no there's no argument there, right? We know that. The great, the greatest, the GOAT. I'm going to just go through Michael Jordan's career, guys. Uh, now, there's a few years where he was injured. His second season, he was injured and you know, only played in 18 games. And then, of course, when he came back from his uh, self-imposed exile, if you will, he only played a few games in the 1994 season because he came back, like, I think it was in May. So... In those cases, he only played a few games. But when he was around for a full season, starting in 1984, 82 games, then up to 86, 82, 1986, 82 games, 82, 81, 82, 82, 80, 78, 82, 82, 82. And in his final season with the Washington Wizards, he was 164 years old. Michael Jordan played in 82 games, all 82 games, played 37 minutes a game. And averaged 20 points, six rebounds, 3.8 assists, a steal and a half per game. So, you know, I get in some cases you're going to rest players. And if you've got legitimate injuries, it's one thing. But it really has, I think, hurt the product a lot when so many times you tune in and you can tell. And I know they have certain they, they impose certain fines if your players aren't available for nationally televised games. But the, the fines are just a pittance. But, you know, because sometimes you'll tune into one of the you know, ESPN or TNT or whatever, one of their big games, ABC, and it's, you know, it is Milwaukee against the Lakers. And then you see all these Hall of Famers, future Hall of Famers in 
street clothes on the bench because they're not playing. And you know that it's, it's going to have a lot of people turned up. But I really like what Anthony Edwards said about how, you know, some people only have enough money to come to maybe one game a year or one game every five years. And then their favorite player is sitting out just because they played the night before. And this goes back a second Joe DiMaggio reference in, in today's podcast, the great New York Yankee who famously said, and this is, you know, 70 years ago, more than that, like he always gave it his all every single time he took the field because he knew there was at least one person in the stands and probably more that had never seen him play in person and would never see him play again. And he didn't want them telling their kids and grandkids for generations to come. Joe DiMaggio was just kind of going through the paces. I love that attitude. I love Anthony Edwards for saying what he said. All right, guys, that's going to do it for the podcast. We will talk to you again very soon. Thanks for listening.